Good morning. Welcome to worship at Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church. It is great to see you this morning. We are glad that you're here and that you've chosen to make PHPC a part of your Sunday morning. If you're a visitor among us, we extend a special welcome to you. We look forward to coming to know you. I want to invite you, those of you who are here in the sanctuary, to please grab the friendship pads. You will find those on the outside aisle of your pew. Please complete those to let us know that you're here, but also as you do that, note the names of those who are worshiping around you and uh, consider greeting one another by name uh, after worship today. Uh, we strive to make this a community opportunity uh, to connect with one another, and this is a way for you to do that. So after worship today, please uh, greet each other. In front of you in the pew racks, you will find small cards. One side is a connect card, the other is a prayer card. If you come today with prayers uh, in your life that you would like to share with the pastors and the deacons, we'd love to join you in prayer, and that's one way for you to let us know of the prayers in your life. On the other side of the card, if you come and you would like more information about the church, want to become more connected with the church, simply write your information on that side of the card, place those cards in the offering plate later in the service, and we will take the appropriate action as we receive those in the office. You will notice a number of announcements on the back of your bulletin. Take a look at those and please consider them uh, an open invitation uh, for your participation. Uh, there are lots of great things uh, to do to enrich your life of faith, particularly as we enter this season of Lent. Uh, I want to call to your attention that today, following worship at 1035, we will have a congregational meeting. The purpose of that meeting is to receive a report from the Church Officer Nominating Committee and to take action on that report. Um, so please uh, make time for that uh, brief meeting following worship today. You will notice the insert in your bulletin that gives you more information about electing election of church officers. Today does uh, mark the first Sunday in the season of Lent, and uh, we will begin a new sermon series today that you'll hear more about from Matthew on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, there are also a variety of ways for you to engage in the enrichment of your faith as we go through the season of Lent. And our communications department has put together a wonderful printed resource that will tell you about uh, activities in the life of the church and small group opportunities, reading plans, and the like that you can participate in. Uh, so we hope that you will avail yourself of those opportunities uh, during this season uh, that is a holy time in our common life together as well as our individual lives. Next weekend is a busy time in the life of our church as we uh, are excited to say that our youth will uh, put on Frozen Junior, the musical that they have been working on for a number of weeks. It promises to be a great time for all ages. So please consider supporting our young people uh, by attending uh, one of those performances on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Also, our Sanctuary Choir offers its annual Masterworks program at 7 p.m. here in the Sanctuary on Sunday, and that's another great opportunity to be together, to invite your family and friends to join you, to take in the fullness of our life together. So I hope that you will consider those opportunities and include them in your plans next weekend. Friends, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, and let us worship Holy God.
Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So in this house, we gather and pray. In this house, we listen and sing. In this house, we make room for all people. For this house is God's house. So you are all welcome here. Let us worship holy God. As we begin the season of Lent, we are invited by God to examine our own spirits, to see what is growing, what needs pruning, to see what needs encouragement. Let us come to God with what we see, offering our spirit to the God who loves us. Let us pray. Jesus of Nazareth, you flipped tables in the temple because you were not afraid to speak hard truths. 
and you challenged the leaders of the day because you were not afraid of being who God called you to be. We wish we were more like you because when push comes to shove, we often choose silence over bravery, passiveness over bold strokes, and ignorance over conviction. Forgive our docile ways. Light a fire with us to be passionate about the things that truly matter. We hope, we pray. Amen. This good news is for all the world. Christ was born, lived, died, and rose again, that we would be freed from sin and death. Our barrenness is not the final word. The final word is to be found in God's everlasting mercy. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Spirit of the living God, together we seek your wisdom and thirst for your word. Gather us with open hearts that the barrenness of Lent might prepare us for the fruitfulness of Easter. Amen. So this past Wednesday, we gathered right here in the sanctuary and in the chapel at 12, uh, we gathered at 1215, but we also gathered at 7 that night to begin our Lenten journey together. It was, uh, uh, it was Ash Wednesday. It's the day that we uh, remember that all life is fragile, our lives are fragile, the world is fragile, and yet we are held by God each and every day of our lives. It's the day uh, when we have ash-marked crosses scrubbed across our foreheads to remind us of this frailty, but to also remind us of this good news. Ash Wednesday begins the 40-day and 40-night journey through Lent. Uh, the 40 days and 40 nights when we will, as a community, journey towards Jerusalem and the cross. This uh, Lenten season, we as a community are going to look at Jesus' final week on earth. Uh, we're going to dive deep into Holy Week. So every Sunday that we gather here in worship, we're going to take a look at a particular day of the week. And for instance, this Sunday, we're going to look at Monday. We're going to look at uh, what Jesus did on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday all the way to Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to use the Gospel of Mark as our guide and we should remember that the Gospel of Mark is the first gospel that we have. Uh, it was written 64 years after Jesus' birth. And uh, it was the gospel that Matthew, Luke, and John used 
as their primary source. So when Matthew, uh, Luke, and John sat down to write their gospel, they had uh, the manuscript of the gospel of Mark. We should also remember uh, that after Jesus' death, the Roman Empire uh, was executing Christians. And we won't go into all the gory details, but let's just say it wasn't very good. And some would argue that the Gospel of Mark is written to answer this question. As a, a person, as a Christian, how do I live with suffering? How, as a person of faith, if we've ever suffered, uh, some scholars would say the Gospel of Mark is the Gospel that we should turn to. Because it is written with the question in mind, what does it mean to suffer as a person of faith? I would invite you uh, this Lenten season to, to um, read the Gospel of Mark. It's only 16 chapters long. We have a whole reading plan that you can sign up for every day. And because it's only 16 chapters long, guess what? You won't have to read very much. It's little bits every single day. But this is what you'll notice if you uh, join me in reading the Gospel of Mark this Lenten season. You will notice something really interesting. Almost 40% Almost 40% of the entire Gospel of Mark is Holy Week. Almost 40% of the entire Gospel is Holy Week. Everything in the Gospel of Mark is building towards the cross. Everything in the Gospel of Mark is building towards Jerusalem. Everything in the Gospel of Mark is building towards resurrection. So I'm going to invite you to follow along with me. We're going to read from the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to hear what happens on that Monday of Holy Week. Remember, Jesus has just entered the city of Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. We'll get into that more in a minute. He's entered through the eastern gate, and this is what he does on the very first day of the week, on Monday. Then they came to Jerusalem. That's uh, Jesus and his disciples, the whole uh, posse, everybody following him. And he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him. For they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, raise your hand if that text makes you extremely nervous. Okay, I'm the only one, maybe because I'm seen as the chief priest in my robe. This text makes me extremely nervous. And can I tell you why it makes me extremely nervous? Mostly because this is a passage that I hear quoted most often from the Bible. And it's always quoted by people who have a very strong conviction about some injustice in the world. And they say something like, well, you know, Jesus was angry and he would flip some tables. Why don't we flip some tables with him? But here's the thing, almost every time I've heard someone quote this scripture, they make the assumption that Jesus is going to 
be just as angry about whatever they're angry about as they are. I've heard uh, this passage quoted by those who will say, yeah, but this political candidate, you know, Jesus had to overturn some tables. Let's just overturn them. And they assume that Jesus, they have the righteous anger of Jesus. I've heard uh, folks who want to save uh, the animals. And so they believe that Jesus has the same righteous anger as they do. I have friends who have causes that I think are very, very, very worthwhile. Uh, feeding the poor, clothing the naked. We just got to get the table. and We got to flip that table, Matthew. Jesus did it. He got angry. We need to get angry too. And here's the reason this text makes me nervous. Almost every time I've heard this text quoted, people always want to flip a table over a singular issue. It's always about one thing. Which makes me wonder, when Jesus flipped over the tables in the temple that day, what did those tables stand for? I mean, if we have this story in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus flips over the table, what is he really flipping over? We should spend some time thinking about that this morning. The first thing Jesus was flipping over, he had a table, there were all these money changers, right? And I think the tables, I'm not going to flip it, so don't worry. <laughs> it's going to stay right here, and I hope you all can see. There were all these people uh, in the temple. We need to remember that the temple uh, was not like the church. Most of us think, oh, we read temple and we think church. It's the place that uh, w we come just on Sundays. No, the temple uh, was in the center of Jerusalem. The temple uh, was, the, was the center of people uh, socializing. It was the center of politics. It was the center of religion. It was the center of daily life in Jerusalem. And uh, it's the Passover. It got celebrated uh, once a year. And the Passover um, would bring 250,000 people into Jerusalem. It would swell Jerusalem to uh, almost triple her normal size. But we have to remember that the, the temple was built by the empire. So uh, politicians uh, built the temple. And so the temple stood, a Bavarian flag, not a U.S. flag. We don't want to go there, but um, Bavarian flag. It stood for the politics of the time, right on the top of the temple. Anybody know what was affixed to the very top of the temple? A golden eagle. Much like the eagle uh, that we see on our flagpoles. Same thing, golden eagle on the top to represent that this was part of the Roman Empire. And do you know who placed it there? The emperor and the Roman governor, which was um, an appointed position. So there was a governor of Rome, Pilate, uh, during Jesus' time. And we need to remember, because this was an appointed position, uh, if you were not doing your number one job, you could be replaced like that. Just to be clear, number one job during that time was to keep the peace. So Pilate held his post for 10 years. And do you know who got to pick who was the chief priest? 
Yeah, you would think it was some committee, we're all Presbyterians, that happened uh, in the church, and they, you know, would wave smoke, or they would make you answer all these questions, and they would ordain you, and then you'd be the chief priest. No. The Roman governor got to pick you. Did you know the Jewish uh, scriptures say that if you were appointed to be the chief priest, do you know how long your term was? For life. It was like a Supreme Court justice, right? You got to keep it for life. But here's the thing. During Jesus' life, do you know how many chief priests there were? Six. And it's not because they all died. And Caiaphas was the chief priest uh, during Holy Week. Caiaphas served as chief priest for 18 years. My dear friends, that means that he was really, 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 really good at keeping the peace with Pilate. They made a great team keeping the peace, Caiaphas and Pilate. But do you know, if I were Caiaphas or Pilate, what would make me extremely nervous it would be the festival of the Passover. It would be uh, the festival when 250,000 people would come into the city of Jerusalem, pack into the temple to celebrate their liberation from one oppressive regime and their freedom into the promised land. If I'm Caiaphas or the chief priest, I am quite nervous this week because Anything could happen. And come back on Palm Sunday. We're going to talk about what had happened in the years before. The temple. The temple in Jerusalem was a sign of the political power of the time. It was also a sign of the religious center. Let's be uh, really clear. I'm appropriating a cross to stand for religion, and I know how wrong this is. Uh, this was a torture device used by the Roman Empire during the time. But I'm going to use it as a symbol for Christianity because that's how we know it today. But the temple stood as a place for all the Jewish people to claim as their home. Uh, the temple is where the Holy of Holies stood. It, it was this one place right there in the middle of the temple that the chief priest could go in only once a year. It was, the whole, it was believed to be the holiest land. It was the place where the divine dwelled. And the chief priest would go to the Holy of, of Holies once a year on a festival called Yom Kippur. And the chief priest would go into the Holy of Holies after everyone had made amends with one another. Uh, they had claimed and forgiven one another for all the wrongs that they had done over that past year. The chief priest would go to the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur and make amends with God for all the ways that the people had wronged. But it wasn't just that the Holy of Holies was there at the temple. It was also the place where uh, Jewish men would come and pay their taxes so they would, uh, they would come over, and once a year, they would pay um, a two denarii tax. They didn't have Ziploc bags back then. I, they carried it in their pocket. But there was a two denarii tax every year for every Jewish man. 
And uh, it was for the upkeep of the temple, for the building structure. Two denarii represented two days worth of work every year. And to put this into perspective, the temple on average would take in 100 pounds of gold every year in Jewish taxes. There is an accountant at 815, and I said that, and there was like this delayed laugh. And I said, Bob, you just did the math in your head about how much money that is every year, didn't you? And he said, I did. And I said, how much in today's dollars, Bob? He goes, 100 pounds of gold, about $2.4 million a year. Wow's right. That's a lot of money in our house, $2.4 million a year when Jesus was alive. But the temple uh, was the religious center. It's where the Holy of Holies uh, was, but it was also the place where you would pay your taxes. But it was also the place, it was the only place in first century where you could go and buy an animal for sacrifice. I wanted a lamb, but this is all I could find in Elliot's crib this morning. I think it's a cow. <laughs> so you would go and buy uh, an animal. It was the only place in all of Jerusalem that you could do animal sacrifice. And the reason that you did animal sacrifice was because you wanted to be in right relationship with God. In our text this morning, Jesus said, or the text says that Jesus was flipping over tables and he was stopping those from buying doves. Important uh, piece in our text this morning. Do you know what Mary and Joseph, that's Jesus' parents, do you know what they did right after Jesus was born? They went to the temple. Anybody want to guess what they bought two of? Doves. So you would go to the temple and you would want to be in right relationship with God and you would buy an animal sacrifice. The temple stood for all kinds of things. Your religion, your politics, uh, your social relationships, your identity was wrapped up in the temple. So when Jesus flips over the table, is he flipping over a table because it's a singular thing he has an issue with? The temple was huge. I mean, the temple was huge. Uh, it was 1.4 million square feet. Woe is right. My dear friends, if we um, took off Nordstrom's and Macy's from North Park, it would be about that size. North Park Mall is 2 million square feet. The temple is 1.4 million square feet. So here's my question for you, Ruth. If you go to the Apple store, if you flip over a table at the Apple store, will someone at Williams-Sonoma hear you? Good point. Thank you, Ruth. If you go to the Apple store, can people at the theater at North Park hear you? Absolutely not. I got to tell you, I grew up in South Carolina. I guess I just imagined all things were small, you know? And so I would read this text and I would imagine Jesus flipped over tables and it was like in, I don't know, some basketball gym or something. I just thought everybody would be able to hear it. But if the temple's 1.4 million square feet, that means that people on the other side of the temple wouldn't have heard this. So it begs the question, does it not? 
is this act of flipping over the table really a rhetorical question for all of us today? I think Jesus was flipping over a table saying, uh, the way that you understand your faith is going to be totally different. I think uh, Jesus was flipping over the table saying, uh, the way that you understand uh, your relationship with the divine, you've got it all wrong. I think Jesus was uh, flipping over the table and he was saying, you know all that money that you pay to Rome, all of it that you put in the pot on top of everything else, uh, we're going to flip that on its head. I think Jesus was saying, the way that you pay your temple tax, you, you're seeing it completely wrong. Jesus was being a radical. But we got to get clear on what it means to be a radical. In the Latin, radical means root. Jesus is asking, I think, everyone at the temple that day to get to the root of what it is they actually believe. He is asking them to get to the root of what the temple exists for. Which if we go all the way back to King Solomon, we go back to 1 Kings, the temple was built, and I quote, to be the place where the eyes of God and the heart of God will always be with God's people. The temple was built in the very beginning so that the eyes of God and the heart of God will always be with God's people. When we are charging people taxes for the temple, when we are offering up animal sacrifices to be in right relationship in the very place where guys, God's eyes and hearts dwell, when we put eagles on top of the temple, is this the root of what the temple was supposed to be? Or has the temple become something different? Better question. Here's the better question. Is how I relate with the temple, is how I relate with the temple, how I also relate with God, the divine? Is how I relate with the temple how I relate with the divine. Yeah, God, I'll pay my tax just to make sure you and I are good. I'll give you a little bit. There you go. We're all good, right? God, I'll sacrifice something. You just tell me how much. Two doves or should we do a whole lamb this year? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll vote whatever. Is how I relate with the temple actually how I relate with the divine? Because I think Jesus is coming to help us understand that we don't need a temple to relate with the divine. For he is the word made flesh. He is the word made flesh. So our faith resides in something beyond anything we could build. So the first question I think we should ask ourselves this Lenten season on this uh, Monday is this. Who am I? Who am I in relation to God? I pass a, a church sign every week. I pass it multiple times. It's not one of those church signs that's like heaven and hell, that whole thing. It's a really good church sign. It says uh, right on the front of it, it says, we are Christians first and everything else second. We are Christians first and then it has all these things that we're not. 
We're not gay or straight. We're not Republicans or Democrats. We're not married or unmarried. We're not all the things that the world would tell us that we are if we just interact in the right way. We are Christians first. So who are we at the root? Who are we in relationship with God? That's something that I want you to think about this week. That's what Monday of Holy Week invites us to contemplate. And here's the second. If Jesus, if we have this story from Jesus in a temple that is that large, and he flips over the table and it represents all of these things, I think Jesus is saying, we don't get to behave one way here by this set of rules and then walk out of this temple and behave like we want. I think Jesus is saying to those in the first century that the temple doesn't play by one set of the rules and then you get to play by a different set of the rules. I think Jesus is saying is the temple is not confined. Everywhere is a temple. I think Jesus is saying, yeah, you can pay your tax there, but that doesn't give you the right to pay to charge people 90% in taxes if they're peasants. I think Jesus is saying, yeah, you can do the right sacrifice and be in right relationship with God, but it doesn't allow you to treat people like their property. I think Jesus is saying that the temple as you have known it, this place that is confined, is going to get flipped on its head because here's the good news of the gospel. My dear friends, everything is a temple. There's no place where you can go where you're not in relationship with the divine. Really, there's no place I can go where I'm not in relationship with the divine? Even at the office? Yeah. Even in the waiting room at the doctor? Yeah. Even around my family's dinner table? Yeah. Even reading my kids' stories before they go to bed at night? Yeah. Even when I'm conducting business? Yeah. Even when I'm drawing up contracts? Yes. There's no place that you can go where you're apart from the divine. Everything's a temple. Everything. So two things I want us to think about as we begin our Lenten journey. I think Jesus is inviting us to consider the root of who we are. Our core identity. The second is this. If everything is a temple, how would your life change? I say it this way every week in the benediction, and I'll say it in a minute. Uh, you haven't come to church today. You've come to worship. You leave to be the church in the world. So if we are the church in the world, and the world is our temple, how does that change your life? Oh, my friends, those are powerful, powerful, powerful questions. I believe those questions have the potential to change your life. Because they certainly had the potential to change our world. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the gift thank you for the gift of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. whose story we still learn from now and whose ways we seek to follow. So be with us, O oh God, that your light would shine through us. 
so that we could also see your light reflected off of everyone. For we pray in your holy name. Amen. Friends, having heard God's good word read and proclaimed, I want to invite you to respond by joining me, standing in body or spirit as we affirm our faith together. We believe and trust in God, who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, and who works in us and others by the power of the Spirit. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to live with respect for creation, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and hope in life and death, in life beyond death. God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. As we turn our attention to prayer today, I want to uh, let you know about uh, a great joy, and that is that our Board of Deacons met for a day-long retreat yesterday here at the church where we visioned, where we uh, pondered why it is that we do what we do, how our calling has come to be. We also serve together as a group at North Dallas Shared Ministry, and so we were grateful for that time together. And you should know that we have a, a committed group of people who continue to carry forward the caring ministry of our church. 
I remind you today of our weekly opportunity to sign care letters through the north transept doors. If you will uh, look under the windows, you will find a number of letters that are addressed to individuals and families who are experiencing something in their lives, either a, a joy or um, a challenge. Your signature on these letters, whether or not you know the recipient, is seen as a, uh, as a sign of prayer and support from this congregation, so I encourage you to consider that in your uh, time this morning. Friends, let us now unite our hearts and minds together in prayer. Let us pray. God of our Lenten journey, you are good and a generous God. Since creation's dawn, you have showered your steadfast love upon us, that we might flourish and be a blessing to others. Ever since you called your people out of Egypt's bondage, you have promised to walk with us through thick and thin. Sometimes we have followed faithfully, and other times we have stumbled and fallen. In the good times and in the bad, your steadfast goodness has been the true constant in our lives, and for that we offer you our thanks and praise. We also lift up our prayers of gratitude for the many gifts in our lives that show your steadfast love, for the companionship of friends and family, both young and old, for the warmth of and protection of shelter and the provision of food, for a loving community of faith that guides and upholds us and supports us, for the gift of the Lenten wilderness that grows us in new ways, for the promise of fruitfulness to come and the opportunity to flourish. God of all mercy and guidance, you also know that there are those among us who are in barren places. With honesty and courage, we lift them to you, O Lord. For those missing friends and family, both those alive and those who have departed. For those who do not have the warmth of shelter in these cold months. For those seeking communities of support and protection. For those struggling in wildernesses that only they can name, we lift them to you. God, we ask that you would look upon our place of barrenness as well. As opportunities for your fruitfulness to abound, give us courage to see ourselves that way, that we might have hope and faith, that we will be led through this wilderness. Remind us, O oh God, of coming resurrection that we do not go into the wilderness to die, but that we go into the wilderness to discover who we are and whose we are, that we might arrive on the other side with a renewed sense of life. This we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior, through the power of the Spirit, praying together the prayer he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we turn our attention to prayer this morning, I want to uh, call to your attention our March 
Every Dollar Counts recipient will be African Road. This is a nonprofit that focuses on the self-development of people and the uh, improvement of communities. You can read more about this organization on the back of your bulletin. We commend the opportunity to you to participate in our Every Dollar Counts offering this and every week. God has been generous to us. God's Spirit animates and moves us to respond. And so at this time, let us now receive our morning tithes and offerings.
please join me in prayer. God of all abundance and mercy, we thank you for the gifts you've showered upon us. We humbly ask for the presence of your spirit to guide us as we seek to use these gifts to the glory of your kingdom. This we pray in your son's holy name. Amen. at your core and how would your life change if you saw everything as a temple that there is no uh, separation between your life and the divine my dear friends wrestle with those questions so as you go forth from this hour of worship to be the church in the world may god give us the grace never to sell ourselves short grace to risk something big for something good grace to recognize that the world is now too dangerous for anything but truth and far too small for anything but love. So may God take our minds and think through them, and may God take our lips and speak through them, and may God take our hearts, each and every one of them, and set them on fire. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and guide us in our many, 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 many different ways this day and all of our days. May it be so. Amen. I'm going to begin in like five minutes. And I don't think your kids or grandkids are out of Sunday school yet, so what else are you going to do? I would invite you to stay. 